Greetings, everybody. Welcome to For the Record, episode number 84. Hope that everyone is having a great week. It is Wednesday, April 12th, at the day that this episode is going live. And yeah, I kind of said it earlier. Hope everyone's having a great week so far. Um, really important episode for you guys today. Um, I don't know how else to preface that, um, but there's a lot of important material that we talk about. And we have, a, there was an amazing guest on the show. He's been on the show before. Um, Greg Proops returns to the podcast. Um, if you don't know Greg Proops, he um, is the host of a podcast called The Smartest Man in the World. He's been on uh, the comedy improv television show Whose Line Is It Anyway for a number of years. Um, I can't remember when the show started, but it was first... Uh, it first ran in Britain. There was a play. There was a cast of players there that did the show. It was wildly successful, and then it went to ABC, and is currently now on the CW. Um, I'm. I guarantee at some point you've seen something from the show if you're not a regular viewer of it. But it's a fantastic and really fun show. Um, he's a stand-up comic as well. He is. Uh, just, he he's a force to be reckoned with within the comedy world, and he is extremely. He, I wanted to have him back on the show, not just because I enjoy his work, but because last year, Greg became incredibly, he, he became very vocal about his opposition for uh, Donald Trump. And I, he, we felt a lot of the same things. And I heard him, he would talk a lot about it on the podcast. The first time when I saw him last year, when we did this episode and we, and I went to the show, um, at the San Jose improv where he did, he did two nights of stand up, and then he did the podcast taping on the last night. Um, I remember there was only like one mention of him, of the president in who at the time was not the president. Um, that nobody thought would win and look where we are now um, it's safe to say 2016 was a very disheartening year and I wanted to talk with him just because so much has happened and I wanted to bring that that expertise and that information he has if you don't know Greg's show uh, Greg will usually research a number of topics uh, within the worlds of uh, film and sports and uh, history and music and then he'll sit down and he'll just read his findings and present it to an audience whenever he does a show and uh, I and it, it became very political and very much about the bullshit that has been going on within this past with with the within the political world this past year and just making it known that all of this is not normal um and it was incredibly insightful. We do talk about a, no a number of more fun things uh, about films that he was in and things like that. I wanted to start it off lighthearted and then kind of move more into it. But this is an incredibly important episode because it it talks about different things that people can really do to help in the world. And a lot of people, when uh, he won the election, didn't nobody really knew what to do nobody wanted to just sit there and take it they wanted to speak up because again this is not normal this is not a normal situation uh for uh for a president it it really isn't 
and I'll we talk about it a lot in this episode, so you'll hear it. This is one of the longer episodes we've done to date. It was a fantastic conversation, Greg. You are always welcome back on, um, and I sincerely mean that. Um, stay tuned at the end because we talk about uh, different websites and different ways that, that people can help out just in their everyday lives. They're very simple, effective ways to make your voice heard, and I think it's incredibly important for people to hear. And there you have it. At the end of this as well, I am also going to... I'm, I'm, I know the intro for this is kind of clocking in longer. I just wanted to explain all this and make it heard. Um, I put a little uh, tag at the end of this episode. I, I guess we'll call it a tag if you can... If that's even the word for it. Um, just to kind of... I, I wanted to leave it with um, um, another message of hope. Um, and about something that just kind of... I guess just a little message of something that happened... Um, recently and how I really like what I really want the show to be so if you want to hear it stay tuned and keep listening after the show ends if not thank you for listening anyway this episode is sponsored by vinyl me please vinyl me please is the best damn record of the month club you subscribe and each month you'll receive one album that is essential to your modern record collection each record is exclusively pressed for vinyl me with features you can't get anywhere else this can include bonus tracks album inserts, colored variants, and it even comes with a 12 by 12 inch album inspired art print and custom cocktail recipe. Really cool and you can't get it anywhere else. To sign up, visit joinvmp.com slash for the record. Once again, joinvmp.com slash for the record. All right, here we go. Episode number 84 with Mr. Greg Proops. Enjoy. Oh, and one last little editor's note that I forgot to add. So we did this interview outside, and if you know San Jose, you know that there is an airport very close to the downtown area. So there were a few times when an airplane flew overhead throughout the duration of the episode. I tried everything I could to fix the audio. I do apologize. It isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but just a heads up, there are a few times if you hear an airplane overhead... You're not going crazy. There's just an airport nearby in the episode, but it's not too bad. It's still, you can still hear everything. Um, just an advisory. All right. On with the show. different when you're kind of like all right cool i've got some time off now i can just relax but you just yeah you just get straight into i did at midnight the next day which oh jesus christ ill-advised but it it worked so (laughs) 
I got away with it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so last time we talked, I just kind of came in and kind of just did a conversation. Given that a lot has happened, I wrote down some questions and a okay. list of stuff, and I actually did research and did Look all that stuff. I, I wanted to take it a little bit more. I like to do it casual, but I also have... There's a lot that's happened. Yeah, there is. Um, but um, first off as well... Um, that was a fucking hilarious show oh, on thank Friday you. night. That was wonderful. My mom was pissing herself. Oh, good. <laughs> um, but I guess the first thing that I wanted to start with in this, before jumping into all the politics, before jumping into the stuff, I was watching a movie the other night with my girlfriend, and I had no idea that you were the voice, or one of the voices in The Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm a bunch of the voices in it. Yeah, and, uh... and I was like, wait a second. I know who that is, and yeah. lo and behold, your name was in the credits. Yeah, as, um, as Gregory, even. Yes! Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, we did that in 93, was yeah. it? Yeah. And um, uh, it was a fantastic experience, the whole thing. I went in and auditioned. Uh, they gave us a cassette tape of the first song, This Is Halloween, yeah. and that was our audition. So I memorized it and uh, uh, put little monster voices to every line on jazz like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And um, they did it. They had an audition in San Francisco for voice talent. The movie is shot in San Francisco in a model shop there. Yeah. And uh, Henry Selleck directed it. Tim, mm-hmm. Tim, it was Tim's idea. Yeah. Uh, I don't know Tim Burton. I never met him. But Henry, uh, we worked with closely. And, um, and Danny, because uh, Danny wrote the score and all the lyrics. Uh, so my experience of it was working with Danny and Henry the whole time. So, That's But the awesome. audition was for Danny and Denise to know he was one of the producers. And, uh, I had to go do something in LA, so I had a plane to catch. So I asked if I could go first. So I was the first person that I saw in San Francisco that day. Yeah. And uh, I came in and I sang my song, and I told him that he sounded like uh, Harold Arlen, who wrote the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then uh, I got it, and so did my friend Debbie Durst, who's a good buddy of mine, and is Will Durst, the comedian's wife, and she's also a comedian, and so. That was excellent because uh, we were best buddies. So we got to do almost all the sessions together. And um, another cat named Glenn Walters, who is the lead singer of the Hoodoo Rhythm Devils, and he's the werewolf. Okay. And he cool. can um, he can sing in two tones at once because his voice is really that is incredible. smoky. Yeah. And uh, so we did it, and, uh, and then it came out, and it wasn't very popular at the time. It mm-hmm. kind of came and went, and you know, it wasn't a smash. Mm-hmm. And then. It's built up so much steam over the last 20-something years mm-hmm. that the last two years we did the Hollywood Bowl with Danny and a live uh, symphony orchestra. That's right. I remember that. John Masseri, yeah, uh, conducting. And uh, so I was lucky enough to do those. He asked me to do them. I thought I'd never... I got an email like three years ago. Uh, it says, we're going to uh, Japan to do Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> and uh, will you audition... And I was like, audition, I was in it. Yeah. <laughs> so I went in the bathroom of the hotel in San Francisco, and I said to my wife, this is going to be a very painful hour for you. Go in the other room. I'm going in the bathroom where the acoustics are better. And I sang into my phone. Yeah. Uh, all this, you know, this is Halloween again. Yeah. Uh, with my voice a slightly lower register <laughs> 20 years later. And uh, they went to Japan without me. And I thought, oh, well, that's that, you know, it would have been good. Yeah. And uh, then I get a call from my... Awesome. <laughs> then I get a call from Laura, uh, uh, Danny's, one of Danny's managers, and um, they were doing it at the Hollywood Bowl. So we went in, we rehearsed a couple days with a giant orchestra, and then 
we fucking did it like the yeah. next day and uh, then because it was such a smash the year before they decided to do it again uh, and we did it last year so it was the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life I've never had so much fun um, playing with a symphony orchestra is like being in an opera uh, I'm completely underqualified to uh, be there um, I can only sing you know what I can sing I can't read music uh, and all the other people on the show are uh, the other the other singers uh, Angie uh, Fletcher um, Erica and um, Randall are all professional singers and that's what they do for a living they sight read so you hand them a piece of music and you go oh by the way when we get to this change I need to go D flat here and then I want you to harmonize and do a diatonic and they all uh huh uh huh and I'm like well, you know so I would just play it over and over and memorize it like a child yeah. and that's how I did it and when we went to rehearsal uh, we had our music books from the year before and they're like do you still have your music books do you need a new one and I was like, do I have my music book? And my wife's like, yeah, it's in the drawer. <laughs> and of course, I had gotten it autographed by Danny. So as a souvenir, so I was keeping souvenir it. Yeah. Point, yeah. So I had to bring it back out. And then we did the first rehearsal, and I forgot every one of my fucking cues. And uh, fortunately, Berica, who's a beautiful uh, person, was sitting next to me. And I was like, where do I come in here? And she's like, here. Uh, and then we uh, were going over a... Uh, uh, the very ending I got to be Santa Claus so I get to go ho 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 happy Halloween and he goes Merry Christmas and yeah. when we were in rehearsal this time I must have messed it up eight times in a row you know yeah. uh, John the conductor is uh, the, uh, a, you know esteemed classical conductor and he's the leader of the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra for 15 years so I'm a little intimidated you know and the first year we were in the music room at Warner Brothers this giant studio there's a hundred and something people in the orchestra. There's an extra chorus besides the five of us of 20 more people. So it's a giant undertaking, right? And uh, we were t talking with children, you know, and John from the lectern with his baton goes, and you all just stop. Yep. He just snapped. <laughs> like, I hadn't had that done to me since I was seven years old. You know, he literally just turned and snapped his finger and we all. So then this year, he was a little looser. I'd missed a cue uh, during the performance, and I went up to him after, and he was drinking wine, and I said, uh, we almost missed that part, and he went, that was exciting, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, so I think he got used to me, because uh, I was in pole position. Uh, John, the conductor, is in the very middle of the orchestra, and I was to his right. I was the first person to his right. So yeah. when we came out and sang, it was, you You're know. like right there. So I saw every cue, yeah. And behind us was the uh, string section and the first violinist and the cellos and whatnot. Uh, so it was like being in a living heart, you know, like every time the orchestra kicked in, of course, we're wearing um, things in our ears to, there's a click track, so oh, we yeah, don't lose time, right? Uh, so the click track goes, you know, like that, whatever. And that's all you can bloody hear. Yeah. And uh, then when the orchestra would kick in, it would just be this physical surge. And the thing that I struck me when the last two years doing it uh, is on the This Is Halloween song, um, there's chimes and bells that are on the beat. And so when we sing the downbeat, This Is Halloween, there's a bong. Yeah. And um, singing it live, I could really feel that. It's a completely know? different experience. Yeah. The first year we rehearsed it, we, we, we sang it in in Danny's studio with John there. And um, we rushed the devil out of it. And 
John goes, all right, you guys, you're way ahead of the beat here. He goes, you're thinking that this song is fast, and it's not. He goes, Danny wrote a nice Jewish song <laughs> that goes like this. This is Halloween, this is Halloween. He wrote a nice Jewish song. Yeah, that made me laugh so hard. Like, that's how it goes. And it doesn't speed up. Oh, yeah. It's not a rock song. It, 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 it. And that made me really laugh, because it was perfectly described. And then I started to hear everything differently. And when we did it, I was young and stupid, and, you know, I was really excited to do it. I couldn't have been more happy. But having heard it a bunch of times with the symphony orchestra now, I get the grandeur of his score. Like, Danny's score is really, really clever and really beautifully put together. Uh, And there's elements of, uh, uh, you know, there's Prokofiev and... and, uh, Harold Arlen and, and so many when you're standing there at the, at the power of it uh, just being awash in this thing and what was I thought was funny was the other singers when the show would start there was a giant overture that you know that lasts for five minutes before we yeah. even come on and I would go out and watch it every night and they'd stand backstage talking and every moment of the show that I could I would watch and uh, so I would come around the side of the Hollywood Bowl and stand where the you could see the stage. Yeah. Because we were on stage. I could have stood there, but I went by myself to watch because uh, I was so fucking thrilled <laughs> to be there. Yeah. Uh, I thought, I'm not wasting a minute of this. I'm going to um, watch it. I'm going to listen to it. I got, I didn't get Pee Wee's autograph, but uh, they gave us, you know, backstage passes, laminates, and I went around and had everybody autograph <laughs> it. You know, like, I'm like a total fan yeah. So that was amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, and the fact that it even now it's two generations past or a generation. So the place is full of kids and parents who are in their thirties and forties who yeah. they grew up with it and now their kids have and that was what was amazing to me that the lasting power of it. I didn't because it wasn't a smash when we did it, I gave it no more thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I thought, I, well, I'm never gonna do this again. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember I was, I think that '93. I was born '93, so uh-huh. I didn't see it that year, yeah. obviously. But um, as the years went on, I think when I turned like ten, I discovered it in a sentence that you'll never hear, nobody here will ever hear again. I discovered it in a blockbuster walking nice. around yeah. as a child. Of course. And I was like, hey, can I rent this? And my parents were like, yeah, sure, why not? And so I watched it. Um, but it didn't like it, there wasn't a huge cultural impact and then we went to Disneyland a couple years later and they did the Christmas time yeah. thing and I was like alright maybe this is a little bit bigger than we expected it to be yeah. and, and now the Haunted Mansion is fully yeah uh, I think it's almost all nightmare before Christmas now um, or parts I, of it are they or seasonally maybe I don't know if they do yeah yeah so seasonally what they'll do um, from well it used to be just from like October to December and now they started in September yeah so it's, it's popular at the end of with people oh easily I, well, I remember when we went there, this is before Fast Pass and anything mm-hmm. like that happened. So the year we were there, it was the first year we went and we're like, let's go see it at night and see if there's a line. And it was 180 minutes. And I'm just like, to the carousel. Yep. <laughs> let's go and wait somewhere three else. Three-hour line. Yeah. And the mansion waited. was always one of my favorite rides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a... Even uh, before Nightmare was in it. When I was little and I would go, I always was astounded by that ride. Oh, I love that ride. Yeah, yeah it's, it's beautiful. 
Your but... cadaverous pallor betrays an aura foreboding. Could it be used since a disquieting metamorphosis? <laughs> <laughs> I love that yeah. stuff. Um, uh, what was I going to say? But yeah, I was just, I kept looking at, like, your voiceover work, and I didn't realize just, I mean, the scope of some of the things that I saw as a child that I never saw you. Like, I never realized, like, Star Wars, of course, as the yes. pod racer. I was... Because I played the video game too for that game, and I pod was, racer. Yes. Oh, I was. Yeah, I was addicted to that game, yeah, <laughs> and I remembered me. that. Um, we did a bunch of different video games, and then uh, I did one um, maybe two years ago, another video game of it, and then um, they've been lucky. I've been lucky enough that they keep me on to do it. Yeah. And then I did a couple episodes of Clone Wars. Oh, cool. Okay. And I uh, was Tal Merrick, who's some evil guy who tries to kill Princess Amidala, and then. Uh, I got shot in the episode I was in, and then I get a call from them, and they're like, will you come back and do Telmeric? And I said, character's dead. He's dead. And they awesomely went, because this is Star Wars, um, it's a prequel, Greg. <laughs> so they get around any writing yep. obstacles by just going, no, this happened before. Prequel, yeah. yeah. Rogue One. So I got to do a couple of episodes. And then now we're, uh, there's another thing coming up that I'm not at liberty to discuss. No worries. Because it's called... It, we had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. All right, no sweat. I'm, I'm, just, I'm very. It's got Star Wars in the title, so I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> um, but uh, and lastly, I guess before we jump into any more political stuff on the film list, um, um, I checked out Casablanca. Oh yeah. I watched Dog Day Afternoon. Um, I think there were a couple of others on there, but um, it's wonderful film selection. Yeah. So it's been awesome to. Uh, just a different era of cinema and to watch all that so I'm glad you like that picture I just watched it again on a plane about a week ago oh wow yeah it was wonderful yeah. I was just I um, I think my girlfriend was I think she went she's been trying to write a book so she's been going to like different literary meetings and things like that so I was just like you're gonna be out for two hours cool Let's sit and watch this and I was like I was blown away by just how beautiful how beautifully done it was yeah it's, it's Hollywood craft at its finest. And everyone in the movie is a freedom fighter. Yeah, I read uh, that. The entire cast that. is refugees and yeah. helped Jews to get out of Germany. And Bogart was a, kind of a civil rights activist. It's, mm -hmm. it's pretty astounding. Yeah, it was, uh, it was wonderful. Um, and I don't think any of them set out to do anything like a classic. I think they were just making another picture. Yeah. I mean, maybe they knew it was good, but I don't know that they knew that it was going to be like the most popular movie yeah. ever. <laughs> One of them, definitely. Yeah, and I think for today, when you watch it now, because we're talking about all the, I was about uh, to say that. the oppression and the, uh, yeah. uh, the Gestapo and uh, mm -hmm. the spying and uh, the horror and everything, because it doesn't skimp on that. There's no. murder, there's treachery, there's, you know, Victor Laszlo's in danger of his life through mm -hmm. the whole movie. And, yeah. uh, and was going to be tossed into a concentration camp or murdered in his cell. Mm hmm. Yeah, which it, they make very clear. Yeah, I think one of the things that was super interesting about that, and why I think the beauty of it resonated even more, was the fact that, kind of looking out at what is going on in the world, it's I don't want to say it's not far off because I just I never want to be able to say that, but it's scary. Mm -hmm. It's scary what's going oh, on. Oh, it's right happening. Um, where were you the night of the election? Um, I was at home. We had a party at the house. I put a magnum of champagne on ice. A magnum. <laughs> The night before, we did a podcast at Bar Lubitsch, and basically, I heard that show. yeah, I was like, she won, yeah, and uh, you were all wrong, and she won, and we played Aretha Franklin for the national anthem, and I, you know, it was not prescient. I've been wrong about a, a million things, and that was one of them, and uh, 
people sent me clips from, uh, was it five years ago when I was in Australia, where someone asked me about Trump, and I said he'll never be president, and he's too crazy, and this and that. And so I've been wrong about all of it. Yeah. I didn't realize the degree to which the intelligence community, the Russians, and uh, the voter suppression and the white supremacy was going to take over. I don't think anyone did. No. I think it, I mean, it was no. just so... Because I remember when you came into the podcast last year, um, you talked... There was, like, one little thing about it in the show, and then it was just... I remember because you talk about, like, here's a section about... I mean, I think you talked about Fats Domino in San Jose. That was yeah. kind of... And you and you would make notes, and you'd talk about just these different kinds of topics in whether it's sports or entertainment. And then I listened to that Clinton episode, and then it's, like, it's just all political. And I'm like, yeah, nobody could have seen how this was going to go at all. Yeah, it was a bit depressing, so... Yeah. Everybody was at the house and uh, everybody left early and uh, I tried to get drunk and it didn't really help and then we had to do a gig in Santa Barbara the next day and I had to you know talk Jennifer down off the wall for a whole day yeah she was inconceivably upset and uh, it, it didn't really a week later I was in Portland and I did the three-hour podcast there and that was when it all yeah I, I came to pieces um, not during the show before the show in my hotel room, I was crying for about an hour and inconsolable and listening to uh, Hallelujah over and over in different yeah. versions. And then I pulled my shit together and put my cologne on and <laughs> buttoned up and went to do battle. And like that was a cathartic episode, I think, for me, but also the people in Portland too, because they were losing their minds. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, it, I mean, his election is just a giant fuck you to women, it's a giant fuck you to anyone who's not white, it's just a horrible, horrible thing. It really it? is. And it's profound, uh, but like I said on the show, it gives us the chance to be sexy like our parents and grandparents, and <laughs> like they were in the 60s or they were in the 30s, now we have to be. Yeah, exactly. Vigilant and active. Exactly. And can't lay back and just be white people. Yeah, it's, I mean, I remember, I remember the night that it all kind of went down. Well, my girlfriend was in London, and so she said, I have to go to bed, and I have to wake up with a new president, mm. and I'm not even there, and I don't even know who it's going to be. And I'm like, don't worry, it'll be okay. And as I'm sitting there, um, getting drunk, and being like, mm. nope, this is how this night's going to go, <laughs> as more and more alcohol keeps coming in. Um, and I think I watched, I was like, I'm just going to distract myself, I'm going to watch at midnight. And then that was a live election show so that kept covering it and I'm just like Jesus Christ we did it at midnight the day or two before and they had me come on as Satan and I can't remember who was on the panel God damn it Jim Jeffries I can't remember who was on but it was I wasn't on the episode as a contestant they just called me and had me come down to be the devil (laughs) and then Chris Hardwick goes like so uh, you know who do you want to win and I go either way baby (laughs) you know I'm sad you know, and I thought, oh, this will be funny because it's all about what an evil fucker Trump is. And, yeah. and of course, it all goes back to bite you in the ass. The next night we were in Santa Barbara and did an improv show. I brought Jennifer with me because I wasn't going to leave her alone. And uh, it was with Ryan and Jeff and Joel. And, um, you know, the gloom, the gloom. Because, you know, Ryan, up till the last minute, was asking me, he's like, she's going to win, Ryan. And I was like, don't worry, she's going to win. And then, of course, I was wrong and you know Ryan said um, this was the stupid people versus the smart people 
which is partially true. I think it was rich white people who really engineered this whole thing. That's fair. Nazi want, really wanted That's it. fair. Everybody blames the hillbillies, but <laughs> the hillbillies are, you know, going to end up being victims of this if they're not already. Yeah. Um, and I've seen people who have never taken an interest in politics in their life. Uh, Ryan was always a hillcat. Uh, Jeff Davis is in our group. Not apolitical, but not particularly vocal about it. Yeah. And uh, Dan Harmon, who he works with, mm-hmm. who's a genius of a writer, uh, they got woke up real fast. All yeah. of a sudden, they're tweeting, uh, Instagramming, yeah. going to marches, <laughs> taking part in. I think, uh, as the thing goes, uh, as the sign said, if I'm an old white man and I'm marching, that's how bad it is. Yeah. So, I've seen a lot of people who I never thought participate or give a shit. Jeff gave me a pair of Hillary socks during the election, and I wore them, and he went, and he wrote to me on Twitter, like, this is the most political thing I've ever done. <laughs> and then now you see his Twitter, and it's just nonstop anti-Trump, you Yeah, know? Yeah, it's, I, I don't know, it's like, I, like, I felt like the, that when it happened, it's like, something happened in the shift of the universe, mm-hmm. like, something, like, it is, it was weird, like, I remember when, I mean, I remember when George W. Bush won, I remember when Obama won, and I remember, like, even when George W. Bush won, there was not the, I mean, there was definitely... There was horror. There was people that were angry, but it was, like, not this, because at least, I mean... That one was a stolen, you know, Supreme Court. Yeah. I mean, if you remember his inauguration, he didn't walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. He drove 60 miles an hour in the black car Mm -hmm. down Pennsylvania Avenue with protesters screaming on both sides of the street. Yep, I do remember that. And then, if you may remember when Obama's first inauguration... Bush came out and Cheney came out. Cheney came out in a wheelchair like Mr. Potter, but Bush came out and the crowd started chanting, na, 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 hey, hey, goodbye. Like, he was so unpopular at the end. So his bookends of his presidency are the fury of the people against him, I thought. Now they're starting to cast him as Mr. Cuddles because he seems like a a sane, responsible person compared to this maniac. But uh, I didn't want people to forget that he did his part to ruin the universe. Oh. And set the groundwork for this. Yeah, he. Oh, he absolutely did. I just. I remember there was an article that went up. It was some. I don't know if it was Buzzfeed or like a, just like a, a pop culture site, but it just said. Meanwhile, George W. Bush had the greatest week of his entire life, and yep. it's just all of his talk show residencies yep. and all this stuff, and making fun of the fact that he used the word misunderstood and mm-hmm. all this other stuff. And I'm just like, wow. Yep. Yeah. Now they think he's the lovable goof, but he wasn't. He, Cheney was a force for pure evil. Letting New Orleans uh, be destroyed and not taking any responsibility for it. Uh, the diaspora from that city that went from a half a million to a quarter of a, quarter of a million people. Making all the, uh, the terrible uh, uh, death and destruction that happened in New Orleans. The corruption of the police. Um, the National Guard coming and firing on everybody, them th- yeah. saying that the black people were rioting and looting, which they weren't doing, yeah. they were trying to live. Um, putting everybody in the, the dome and not giving them water or anything. Um, every minute of it was fucking horrible. And hidden, him not going down there for three days. And then when he came down, he went, I used to have a pretty good time down here. And it's like, you callous piece of shit. Yeah. And then the point that I always try to make to people is, if 250,000 people are displaced in a situation and forced to get on planes some of them had to leave their dogs leave their dogs so what happens to your dog it just dies yeah i mean that's what happened um that's slavery you can't just say you're moving now to another city bye yeah uh and um i can't forgive him for that 
No, I don't. And I can't forgive him for Iraq, and I can't forgive him for Afghanistan. Do I think he was uh, an evil person who set out to do evil every minute of his life? No, I think he was an unconscious boob yeah. who was surrounded by giant corporate machinations. But the mainstreamification or, or whatever of um, racism and using Christianity as a rationale against Islam was definitely a big move on the Bush administration. And yeah. so they laid the groundwork for this. I mean, I think white people got complacent because we had a calm, intelligent, judicious, judicious, uh, articulate, law-minded black man in there for eight years who seemed to be fairly in control of his emotions yeah. and uh, acted like a grown-up and took the job seriously and studied all night, as opposed to W, who didn't study at all, and opposed to 45, who doesn't do anything yeah. except golf and watch telly. Uh, and it, it, I think we all got complacent, like, oh, well, the world changed. See how good it changed for him? We have gay marriage and this and that. Yeah. But democracy's way more fragile than that. Yeah. I think it's so funny that everyone would say during the election, the liberals are snowflakes. They're all these people. And then we have this guy who gets worked up anytime a late-night comedy show mm-hmm. does a bit about him. Who's the snowflake now? Yeah. Also, exactly. safe zones, right? Snowflakes, we, we want safe zones. We want trans people to be used to the bathroom more so babies um, he never goes anywhere that he knows he won't be popular yeah he went to his own golf course in Virginia this weekend that's where he is now hiding he only goes to rallies where he knows he'll be popular he only goes to events where he he never ever 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 comes to San Francisco oh, and addresses yeah. an LGBTQ group hmm, I wonder why <laughs> because he knows he'll be booed and his popularity is you know sinking like a stone um, I mean his people will always love him they're, they're, it's not a rational thing they think he's doing a good job. They think Mexicans are flooding into the country. They, they believe all this crazy shit. There was a demonstration about Pizzagate yesterday in D.C. And Pizzagate's <laughs> lunacy. It's lunacy. How is Alex Jones on the air? Like How, how is, is he some... not incarcerated? I, thank you, yeah. I just, I Isn't don't... that hate speech? Yeah, it is. Every single thing. Like, I, I think to the point where he said the... What was it that he said about Sandy Hook? That it was, a f- yeah. it was fake. Right. Fuck. Yeah, he like, said it was faked because he has no sympathy for any of those children. Oh, he's an he's an odious toad, but he's he's like a parody of a clown. Yeah. Um, I think the main thing is to that I hope the Russian investigation accelerates, and that um God, they'll so. be able to do something with him. I don't see him lasting four years because he's too heedless and there's too much havoc. Yeah. This is chaos and misrule. They haven't. Fi- they haven't um, filled all the positions at the White House. There's 500 positions still open. They're really running with a skeleton crew. And Bannon and Miller have no idea what to do on our lawyers. Yeah. So that's why Muslim Ban 1 and Muslim Ban 2 were struck down immediately by the yeah. courts. Because they're not written in any kind of legalese. We had a president and a first lady who were both top lawyers. And when Clinton and Clinton were in, we also had two lawyers. Yeah, they were. So they knew what they were doing. Let me put it to you this way. When autocrats get normalized, it's the danger. When the press starts going, Melania's really glamorous and Ivanka's really pretty and like, mm-mm-mm. It, it, these are white supremacists. They're Nazis, so they have to be called that all the time yeah. so that everybody remembers that they're white supremacists. He hasn't said a word about the black girls missing in D.C. He hasn't said a word about all the Jewish cemeteries being knocked over. He hasn't said a word about, what are we up to, five mosques have been burned? Yeah. Um, he hasn't said anything about uh, the, the, the guy who came to New York to shoot uh, the black guy this weekend because he hates black people. Completely motivated by Trump's white supremacy. 
um, the guy who shot the Sikhs in, um, uh, was it Oklahoma or Kansas? Uh, uh, now sure. everything's moving so quickly. Yeah, exactly. And he thought they were Muslims because he's an idiot and, and anyone with a turban is a Muslim. Um, the hate crime, the wave of hate crime, the wave of white supremacists. Yesterday there was a pro-Trump rally in Huntington Beach. Um, and um, Nazi flags, Nazi flags. Yeah. I, I, Nazi I, flags. I know. Like, I, I literally, I think that there was... There was something that I saw where there was, it was at the women's march, someone got a photo and there was someone who just stood over the side and hung a Nazi flag and I was like, how is this not the line? Like, what has to happen for people to go, mm, no, too much. With white people? I mean, that's a limitless line with white people. White people will tolerate anything to maintain their privilege and whiteitude and um, the artificial construct that we made where somehow white is better than other things. Because it, it is artificial. It's something we imposed on the world. Yeah. The world didn't demand it. The world didn't want it. No one asked for it. Yeah. We made it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, now you're seeing what happens when you put someone in like him who promulgates this kind of nonsense. They all feel real empowered now. Um, yesterday they were chanting um, this really nonsensical, uh, you're going to get a helicopter ride. They were yelling at the anti-Trump supporters. Yeah. And that's... What South American dictators, Pinochet in particular, would take dissidents up in a helicopter and chuck them out. And so they're embracing all these different fascists from history's moves, and somehow that's fun and cool and neat, and everyone's a faggot, a bitch, uh, a a spick. You know, they they really feel free. Oh, every turn. They really feel free to to use pejorative... uh, and then, oh, you know, PC's really holding us back. It's like, no. no. PC was to make everyone feel better about themselves <laughs> by honoring people's feelings occasionally. Um, so, yeah, it's a dire situation, but look look at how bad, how badly they're managing this. Yeah. This, it, in 64 days, we've reached a real low point for them. Um, yes, they're doing untold damage, and yes, a lot of things are getting shot through Congress because Congress has no integrity whatsoever. And the other thing I would urge the people listening to your show and everyone out there is it's not all him. You have to blame the entire Republican Party all the time. It's a Republican administration. He's being supported by the Republicans. They're signing off on this, which means they are white supremacists as well. And they, be, uh, in that Orwellian uh, way, power, not country, not ruling, not governing, not stewardship, no sense of, I've got to keep this thing together, this dream. Yeah. Mm-mm. I'm just going to stomp you in the face. That's what power is. Um, we're going to defund Planned Parenthood. We're going to defund the EPA. We're going to defund uh, uh, Sesame Street. We're going to take Sesame Street away. This is from a president who has a 10-year-old. Yeah. A 10-year-old who we never see, and no one ever talks about the absolute abnormality of his wife and child not being with him. Yeah, they're... Abnormal. Yeah, it's weird. Or the fact that wh- I think what you said it perfectly the other night. How does the fact that he doesn't have a dog mm-hmm. not raise any questions yeah. to anyone at all? He doesn't have a dog. Even George Bush did. Yeah, but George <laughs> Bush had Barney. Barney had a web page on the White House website. <laughs> when Bush was president, I had a podcast, and it was on Audible, and it ran from like 2000 to 2005. Hmm. And nobody listened to it because no one had smartphones. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's when the game changed for podcasts, when, when people could listen on yeah. their phone. And uh, I railed on it all the time, and I was on the White House website every week because they had pared it down to nothing. 
because there was no accomplishments to talk of other than two giant wars and letting everyone run wild. So Barney had a page, which I would always go to and look at. He was a cute little terror. <laughs> um, he's not a normal person. He's mentally ill. He's unstable. He's uncouth. Um, he's crass and cruel. Um, he tweeted yesterday, uh, hey, the Democrats should be celebrating that the Freedom Caucus saved Planned Parenthood for him. Like, does he ever say anything that's not a diminishing, horrible, sarcastic, mean thing? Instead of saying after the his crappy plan collapsed, well, we'll go back to the drawing board and all the people in America, he was like, yeah, Obamacare's gonna implode. Yeah. He, it's both going to implode and explode, he said in the same sentence. And then Rince Priebus, who's also um, of questionable intelligence, came on the morning shows and said that exact same sentence today. It's exploding and it's imploding. Implosion and explosion are two different things. Yes. They are, in fact, diametric opposites. <laughs> so their they're grasp of uh, uh, language, he speaks at, a, what did they say, just under the sixth grade level? Yeah. And our, you may remember that Obama and Bill Clinton were quite articulate indeed. Yes. And Hillary, too, able to express complex ideas in a very uh, eloquent way getting people to understand uh, uh, abstract ideas, difficult ideas. Um, his crowd doesn't care for difficult ideas. With them, it's black and white. And, of course, the world isn't that way. Yeah. Uh, what really gets me is, when did we decide to sit down and be Russia's bitch? I mean, Ronald Reagan, who they're always talking about as the greatest American, who He'd I didn't care for. He'd be over in his grave right he's now. He's sitting like a top. This. Yeah. He hated the Russians more than any human alive. Yeah. He told Gorbachev he was going to nuke him. I mean, in a meeting outside before the meeting started, he said, I want this deal to go down, and if it doesn't, I'm going to nuke you. I mean, we outspent them so much just to drive them into the ground during the 80s. We blew the budget of the country, and their hideous invasion of Afghanistan, which we followed suit in doing 20 years later, destroyed them. Everybody thinks we stopped communism with flags and you know parades and shit, Communism went broke. Yeah. And not all communism, by the goddamn way. China's got a billion people who are communists. They always say Reagan stopped communism. And I'm like, so what about the billion people that are communists? Did he stop that too? Yeah. Because he didn't stop communism. But after 10 years in Afghanistan, Russia had spent all their money and killed all their Azerbaijanis and all their Uzbeks and all the... Because they made all them fight the war in Afghanistan. There wasn't... Those wasn't white Russians. Yeah. Those were the... <laughs> The country mountain people. Oh, yeah. They are the ones who got blown oh, yeah. up by the Taliban. Uh, and we learned nothing. We learned nothing. Yeah. I mean, that. it's... I think the... Saber rattling is real dangerous because yeah. people die. And then, you know, we've destabilized... Well, never mind. That's, that's all. Anyway, go oh, on. No, no, go no, on to your next fine. question, No, please. you're fine. Um, well, there was a, a... Something that... Going off of something that you said when you were talking about tweeting. This... I think this just sums up kind of everything... This sums up his presidency in just one little thing. This is an article from the New York Times from uh, Friday, and the last little paragraph of it is, it says, do you think Donald J. Trump goes home tonight and shrugs and says, this is what winning looks like? Mr. Gingrich added, no, but this is where the Republican Party is right now. It's been this way for years. But Mr. Trump put on his best face on Saturday morning. Quote, unquote, Obamacare will explode, and we will all get together and piece together a great health care plan for, in all caps, the people, he said on Twitter, do not worry. Yeah, I read that one. Yeah, like, that's just, I... Right? Yeah. So, the fact that 24 million people will keep their health care for the moment uh, isn't the point to him. The point is it's going to explode, and then 
these people that he's always talking about, the people that he represents that are somehow underrepresented, who don't include white people, Muslims, Jews, women, queers, any, any everyone else race. is excluded. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's nonsense. You know, he's incapable of telling the truth. He has a pathological aversion to the truth, and uh, his instability is going to undo his career as a politician. My wife, her father was uh, in the military, and she grew up in Washington and knew a lot about how that apparatus works. And Bush was surrounded by insiders who grew up in the culture. Dick Cheney had been Herbert Walker's Secretary of Defense. He'd been in the Ford administration, Rumsfeld as well. Colin Powell, of course, had been a lifetime military person. Um, Condi Rice was a think tank, Stanford Heritage Foundation, you know, yeah. mind. These were not, they are not from without the system. They were from right within the system. So they knew how it all worked. These guys are ham-fisted. Bannon and Miller have the slightest notion. His first day he slammed the CIA when he stood in front of the Wall of Heroes. And a lot of CIA agents were like, really? Those are my friends. They don't get their names on the wall because we're spooks. They're dead now and you're shitting on them. And then, oh, no, I love the CIA. Remember he called them Nazis at one point? He called the CIA Nazis. Um, He called Obama a sick person for tapping him. Yeah, that would Uh, tap with two Ps. So you're up against this giant thing in Washington. I saw it with Jimmy Carter when I was a teenager. He came in with a group of people from Georgia, Ham Jordan and Jody Powell and and his group. uh, And he got some big new Brazilians. He'd come in and side dance uh, who were you know, trilateral commission types, but they swept in there and they're like, we're going to fix everything. And the Democratic Congress of the 70s went, no, no, you're not. We're here forever. You're here till four years and you don't get a lot of notice. And Bush had the advantage of having his own Congress. Obama didn't, but was able to get so much done anyway, which proves he's a good politician. To get a treaty with Iran, gay marriage, uh, the ACA, Opening up Cuba, these are all significant things. Look at, name me a Russian president who did anything, I mean a Russian, name me, there, there's a slip of the tongue. <laughs> name me a Republican who accomplished anything like that. George W. Bush accomplished nothing in eight years other than probably funding AIDS research in Africa, which is his one accomplishment. Other than that, disaster. Yeah. Two giant wars, ruined the economy of the world. When he left office, people were chanting for him to go. His approval rating was... Yeah. After Katrina, it was a slow slide to nothing. Reagan, after the, in the second term, same thing. After Contragate broke, it was just, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 people in this administration were indicted, um, resigned, left under a cloud, fired, including heads of all the uh, uh, cabinet's positions. His head of the EPA, his head of uh, 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 the CIA director, was sent to the hospital and had his brain taken out in the middle of Contragate. His brain. Yeah. So they're all really corrupt, and they just go to the well. But now we're at a point where there's not even a pretense. These Jesuits came to make money. And this whole, their crappy health plan they wanted to get through, there was two giant tax cuts for the rich contained in it. And that was the entire enchilada. About helping people or whatever, it was a slapdash. Slapdash. Seven years to get that shit together. 
and then Paul Ryan, who's supposed to be the intellectual bulwark of the Jesus party, Christ, Eddie Munster, said, uh, big things are hard. No shit. Big things are hard. <laughs> so we're at the sixth grade level again, and if you're lucky, am I right, ladies? Big things are hard. Uh, he, uh, that's a childish... You've had seven years to organize this. You've been opposing it for seven years. Yeah. Surely at one point you had a meeting with healthcare experts and lawyers. This is what you do. This is what grown-ups do. Yeah, there was a... Obama did it. Yeah. And by the way, the Obamacare plan is a Republican plan off the back of Hillary's plan from the 90s. If they hadn't have shot her down, if Newt Gingrich hadn't have been such a bag of dicks in the 90s, we would have had this healthcare plan in place for 20 years. And it would have been ironed out by now. We'd have already had a giant system in place. Yeah. They're so anxious to not help anyone. Yeah. There's, just, there's a, a site called Very Smart Brothers, and um, it's a lot of black people writing. And um, on that site, a very good column about white people want everyone dead. And they'll vote against health care. They'll vote for guns. Uh, as you know now, mental patients can get guns, and now silencers are available. As of this week, they're going to make silencers more easily available. Because, you know, we all need that. So yeah. um, They want people to die. They don't have another agenda. It's an agenda of cruelty, and that's why I can't support it at all. And people argue and say, oh, aren't I allowed to disagree with you? Absolutely. I have plenty of intellectual room to let people disagree with me. If you're a conservative, I understand that you have a different viewpoint with me. Where I draw the line is, if you hate people because of their race, or because of their gender, or because of their sexual orientation, or because they're from another country, or because of their religion, that's not a difference of opinion. You're just a bigoted asshole. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so that's where I like, you know, if we disagree about the vagaries of the healthcare plan, that's one issue. But if you say to me, the poor don't deserve anything because they're poor and we're superior to them, then fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're a fascist. Yeah, there were people, I mean, I, I mean, Facebook was very toxic, I mean, mm. I mean, it, from any point, um, at least within the first, now it, it's kind of calmed a little bit and I'm starting to see people kind of go, well, wait, he was supposed to do this. I'm mm -hmm. like, no, he wasn't going to do that. Yeah. We all he told this. you. He told you he was, but he wasn't going to yeah. do it. Um, my favorite thing was the Art, the video of him saying, I never said I was going to repeal and replace it, and then the article said, here are 25 times yep. he said it on video, where yep. it was actually true. He said it during the campaign every, yep. at literally every stop. Yeah. Um, and he said it was going to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> then he blamed the Democrats the other day, which was yeah. hilarious, because not only did he never go to them, because he's a crappy politician, Yeah. Obama went to the Republicans. He had them in his office. Yeah. We need to do this. Which is what a leader does. Yes. He tries to bring a, leader. a group of people together. Not an autocrat. And, yes. Uh, he didn't ever speak to them. He never reached out to Schumer or, or, or anybody, Pelosi. And then they have such a giant majority in the House, they didn't need the Democrats. Yeah. And they were banking on that. And then most Republicans, it says, didn't even vote for them, or vote for the plan. Not only was it a loss, it was, uh, it was like showing up at the football field with your team, seeing the other team, and running off the field before the game began. It was that <laughs> shit of a loss. Any real politician would have said, put it to the fucking vote. Let's see what the Congress does. Yeah. And then they were so afraid, and then you know, because they lie about everything, you have to read into their lying. Uh, one of them, I can't remember who it was, might have Spicer, said, oh, we were only short 10 or 15 votes. And someone tweeted yesterday, Eric Baylor, one of those great uh, columnists, that means 50. Yeah. <laughs> so if they had put it to the vote, they have 40 whatever seat majority, they were gonna lose. Mm -hmm. 
and they were going to lose overwhelmingly in their own house. So that's the kind of shit show we're talking about. Then he immediately ran away and went golfing at a course that he owns. And, you know, wow, dude. What I find so funny is that everyone would say, Obama's taking too many vacations, he's going in golfing, and it's like, all right, let's look at every weekend so far. Twelve. Where's the president? Twelve. Oh, yeah. Twelve. Where, where's he been? He's been at the at the course. At a weekend. branded property. Yeah, at his own thing. There was, okay, so the only other article that I had printed out, I'd looked at some other ones, but the one that I found was a from the Washington Post where he did, it, they reported on the first time he went out for dinner in D.C., and it, I don't know if you saw this article. Um, well done steak with ketchup. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, he ordered a ruined steak with with ketchup, and I think, um, what was it? It's a, I, well, the report, it was his restaurant too, right? It was, yeah, it was something that he owned. It was a BLT Prime by David Burke, which was a, yeah. as the reporter says, a parentheses, yawn together now, steakhouse. Mm-hmm. And the, the quote says, also, Trump ordered a strip steak, which he ate per his preference, well done, and with ketchup, as if the entree would be accompanied by a sippy cup. Insert a moment of silence for the cow, the condiment, and what most chefs would call a forced marriage. Really, I feel the same way about masking the flavor of a $54 dry-aged steak as I do about guys who wear baseball caps and doors. Just don't. Anyone who knows anything about cooking meat knows the longer it stays on the grill, the drier and tougher it becomes. Plus, some chefs respond to well done with a lesser cut of the steak, figuring the recipient isn't respecting the ingredients. Uh-huh. Um, well, he's a savage. Like I say, he's uncouth. All the way, re- raised in wealth. Yeah. And I never learned to eat a steak. What can people, given how you talk about this on the show and you talk about the things that I guess people can do in order to join, I think you said you branded it the resistance. Um, What can people do for the resistance? Um, The first thing you can do is local. Everything is always local. If there's a local organization that feeds the homeless uh, in your neighborhood um, or a women's center, um, uh, a women's shelter, go there and help. Those are the first things you can do. They're immediate. You'll see immediate results. Um, in LA, I go to a place called Food on Foot. Uh, Jennifer's there today. Um, they help homeless people from the street get a job and a home. And they're very direct, hands-on. One or two people a month are taken. I mean, it's a giant program, so yeah, within yeah. a month, uh, uh, a person is, they find them a position, they get them money, they, uh, get them a bus pass and the ultimate goal of foot on foot is uh, after you go through the program and it's several months you know you have to pick up garbage you have to show up at a certain time you have to show that you're going to be responsible if you have a criminal record that's okay you just have to make full disclosure and say you know I I killed a guy that you know know that this is going to come up yeah they get them ID they get them an apartment and and a full time job and so to see people go from literally pushing a shopping cart and being drunk to now they work in a restaurant, now they work wherever, and it changes their lives. So it's so hands-on. Now, I'm only giving that one as an example because that's the one that I go to in LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in your town, wherever your town is, there is something like this. You have to go online, you have to look. Um, if you go to a Jewish community center, if you go to a church, if you go to a, 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 a mosque, you'll find all these things are going on. I was in the uh, St. Joseph's uh, yesterday here, yeah. and there was um, envelopes to donate to the flood victims here in San Jose. So there's always a direct way. Yeah. That's the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do is, 
if you can, if you have the money, uh, join the ACLU and Planned Parenthood and give them some money. Planned Parenthood's going to be at the show tonight, the podcast. I had them in Seattle. I had them in Portland. Um, they're going to be in Chicago on the 29th when I'm there. I'm making a huge effort. And by the way, Planned Parenthood is not this giant organized national thing. It is. But I have to call people on their own and get their names from other Planned Parenthood people, ring them, tell them who I am, explain what a podcast is, <laughs> explain why I, I'm a comedian who cares about this, and then see if they can come down and have a literature, a literature table. Yeah. They're prevented from collecting money there. But you can join and get lit and condoms and stickers and t-shirts and shit. Yeah. And then um, Planned Parenthood is inconceivably vital to not just women's health, but everyone's health in the country. Um, demonizing women and making them murderers is like demonizing Muslims or demonizing Jews. It's You're making them the other. Women aren't murdering babies. Women are just trying to live their goddamn lives, being paid shitty and treated like fuck every day. Yeah. Um, so Planned Parenthood is... Some people have nowhere else to go than Planned Parenthood. That would be the second thing I do. The American Civil Liberties Union, the Southern Poverty Law Center, the SPLW, uh, CAIR is the Muslim organization, yeah. the, uh, the, the Jewish Anti-Defamation League. You can go online and join all these things, give them small donations. Um, I would join uh, the Women's March, go on that website. Um, and the March 29th, the day I'm in Chicago, is a day of recognition for Planned Parenthood and everyone's supposed to wear pink that day. Um, the other thing you can do is go to house.gov and senate.gov and your, oh, uh, there's also another, uh, and look up your representative. Yeah. On senate.gov and house.gov, your representative is listed. Their phone number, their, um, here we are, their uh, 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 address, Physical letters and physical postcards have to be dealt with. You can email them. Diane Feinstein's very good about answering emails. Um, every time I've sent her a lengthy email of my opinion, <laughs> I get an email back from her office. That's how competent she is. Kamala Harris um, also has a group you can join. Barack Obama also has a group you can join. Um, if you don't have time to go out in March and you don't have time to give money, because I know not everybody has money and not everybody has time. So remember, you can go on, um, uh, let's see here. If you if you text 504-09 and write the word resist 504-09 and write the word resist resist bot is called resist bot and so you write your name in you write your address in and this is for instance what it said to me um, let's start with sending a message to your senators Diane Feinstein and Kamala Harris in a moment I'll ask you what you want me to say to them there's no limit to how long your letter can be so then I wrote them about Judge Gorsuch. And then you can add all the stuff, the budget, the ACA, anything else, and then they send. So then it says, preview, see what I've sent so far, edit, keep your message, start over, start a new message, and then there's the letter. Wow, that's incredible. So it's 504-09. It's the easiest thing you can do, and it's the cheapest thing you can do. Yeah. So your senators, and then you can get even deeper on it. You can go to your House representatives. Um, the other thing I would do is... Uh, and this is, this is the boring work of civics. <laughs> Go on uh, your website of the town you live in. Like, for instance, we're in San Jose. San Jose will have a city council. San Jose will have a mayor's office. They are accessible to you. You can write them. You can attend meetings. You can fax them constantly. 
I want you to deal with the homeless. I want you to deal with healthcare. I want you to make this a sanctuary city. I want you to protect our Latin population. I want there to be a hate crime watch. And it works. You saw what happened with the healthcare thing this week. Yeah. And that wasn't the Democratic Party exerting its muscle. That was the will of the people being done. You saw all the town hall meetings where Trump voters got up and screamed at their representatives. And a lot of the representatives didn't dig it. A lot of them haven't had a town hall meeting because of it. A lot of them had the meetings and then yelled at their constituents because they've never been treated this way because they're used to being treated like they're, you know, they get uh, sex from prostitutes and backsheesh because that's how politics work. And just have to sit in front of a room full of people wearing John Deere hats going, my mother's going to die. What the fuck are you going to do about it? So it really does work. Um, Going to meetings work. Um, If you have the time to run for office, and I mean the lowest level office, the hospital board, the board of equalization, these are all offices you can run for. This is how the Tea Party got in, and this is why the Tea Party has the Freedom Caucus that defied Trump this week. They don't have your interests in mind, they have their own interests in mind, but we can do the same thing. You can do the same thing for, yeah, what you want to do. Uh, uh, Entry level city council type things are absolutely available for us to run for, and you don't have to be a lawyer. Look at the people who are in office. You don't have to be intelligent. You just have to be committed and know what your agenda is. Um, the JCC in my neighborhood in LA um, has a literacy program where you can come in and tutor children. Uh, within the JCC, they organize other groups so you can join an LGBTQ group. You know what I mean? I went to a, 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 a Protect Row rally and afterward we all went inside and had cookies and bad food and coffee. and Everyone there was an activist, and you were given flyers, pamphlets. So the places that are boring that you didn't go to before are the places you have to go now. Community centers. um, If you don't have time for any of this, like I say, the 504-09 thing. There's also another uh, website called, what is it, Five Calls Daily? I can't think of the name of it. Act 1 or Act... um, And they send you a list... Here it is, Act One. It's uh, on Twitter, and it's called Act One Today. Okay. One small, quick action each day to help you. So, today's act... Oh, that was the pinned one. Uh, let's see here. Uh, for instance, time to hit the phones again. And then here, a list of the senators you should hit up. Wow. So, it's one small thing every day because I know people are fucking busy and they've got families and kids and they got to make a goddamn living. They're not like me. They don't get high in the morning and <laughs> fucking hang around. Um, so, Act One is a very good place. Uh, there's also, a, if I can find it, uh, a site called Five Calls, is it? I get emails from them. Five Calls. Um, I feel like I've heard shit. something similar. There, wait, 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 there it is. God damn it. Here it is. Fivecalls.org. It's a five, the word calls, and dot org. Okay. So look, so so if you press those buttons and go, oh, this is what I like. Then the oh, next wow. thing pops up. Right, right. See, yeah. so fivecalls.org will tell you who to call, and then. Wow. Yeah. This phone is calls sense. really work. Um, the reason why the healthcare thing got shit canned and torpedoed was. Republican congressmen and senators received 10 zillion phone calls. And you could see the numbers on Some people posted their numbers and would say, 
my constituents called and I had 10,452 calls against 1,000 calls for. And they know that their ass is on the line. And the chant you hear at all these town halls is, do your job. People get up and just start screaming, do your job. Yeah. React to me. Understand me. Don't ignore me. So there's those three things. There's act1fivecalls.org, uh, resist bot. If you can't go out and march, um, there's going to be a science march coming up. Uh, when's that one? April? There's going to be a tax march too on April 15th. Okay. If you can get out and march, it's really fun. You meet a lot of people who you agree with, a lot of good-looking, sexy people. Uh, I know you have a girlfriend, but if you're single, I would go to these things because... Uh, oh, she wants to go. She absolutely wants to go to any I mean, I see place. more good-looking, motivated people at these things. You know, you go to the Trump ones, and they, they tend to be a little more disheveled and unhappy. They, they're... they're they're angry about a lot of stuff, but they don't have a lot of solutions other than like, yeah. building walls and burning mosques. Um, I want to see more men at these things. I marched at the airport. I marched at the Women's March. I marched for Roe. We marched at a, 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 an immigrant march in Los Angeles. And it, this is how uninvolved white people are. I had Mexican people, Mexican-American people in L.A. telling me, thank you for doing this. Like going, hey, you're on Who's Line. That's really nice that you're doing this. Thank you. And it makes you want to cry. Like, I'm only being a human being. Yeah. I'm not doing anything out of the ordinary. But that's how little white people give a shit about... And I'll be honest, um, it was a lot of Latins. And uh, L.A.'s full of immigrants. And I didn't see a lot of different groups represented there. Not to get into race here. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. But there was a lot of groups that could have shown up that aren't involved. And, uh, but, you know, let's talk to the brothers first, right? Men, not black men, men in general, need to up their fucking game. We made this happen. White men are responsible for this. Um, Donald Trump is a funhouse mirror of all of us white men. He is the bloated, corpulent, autocratic, sexist dickhead that lurks inside all of us and we're only one inch away from him maybe a centimeter and um, so you think well what can I do? Atone Atone is what you can do if you see women getting hassled if you see Mexican people getting hassled uh, if you see the uh, ICE uh, agents fucking with uh, immigrants tape them help them stand up for people it's just as simple as being a decent human being uh, and the marching, really, I need to see more white guys at these marches. I need to see more men. This isn't for women to solve. Women have tried to solve this. Women warned us about this. Black women screamed from the rooftops through the whole goddamn election yeah. that this guy was fucking evil. And nobody listened, and now we're like, hey, he was evil. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I know that white guilt is not a concept that everybody understands or that motivates them, so... Let's just say the mention. Uh, I think I hope I've given you enough there. This there, is perfect. The concrete things are really important. It, saying that we're all going to join together and it's all going to be a magic wonderland and we're going to hold hands is one thing. But going to meetings, writing letters. Oh, there's also a free fax site. I don't know what it's called, but if you Google free fax, free fax, yeah. Um, I send faxes constantly to Lindsey Graham, uh, mention uh, uh, mostly Republicans. Some of them won't accept faxes because they just don't want to hear from you. But their fax machine in their office operates, and paper comes out of that fucking machine. And yep. when you send them a fax, man, <laughs> they, there is a clerk standing there watching paper come out of the fucker. Never use profanity. Never use capital letters. 
if you need wording, go to, you know, uh, Move On or, or Planned Parenthood. They'll give you the wording so that, you know, or Daily Cost. Daily Cost has, often has action alerts. Um, never say, fuck you, you fucking asshole, white supremacist, dick face. Always respect. Senator Graham, thank you for your kind attention in this matter. I strongly urge you to oppose the nomination of Judge Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. He will not represent the needs of the, of the vast majority of American people. You know, I mean... Oh, yeah. You, you, you have to be formal. Don't exactly. be a, a grown-up about all this. Uh, uh, swearing and fighting and throwing rocks and wearing a mask is childish. Yeah. No, I completely <laughs> agree. It's childish. Why are you wearing a mask at a protest? What are you afraid of? What are you in the fucking movie with uh, Natalie Portman? Be for Vendetta. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you. Show your face, <laughs> goddammit. Be a person. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a semi-public figure, as it were. Uh, I, I, everybody knows my whereabouts. They're posted on my website. You know where I'm going to be, and you know what I'm doing, because yeah. I tell you every day. If it's... If, uh, if Kamala Harris and... Uh, 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 um, Maxine Waters, if Sarah Silverman and Margaret Cho can be public about their opinion and put their ass on the line and be uh, susceptible to derision, trolling men, writing them the most vile, graphic, horrible shit and threatening them all the time, which they do, then you can do it too, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the women who are strong that have to do this shit and they have to just fucking deal. Um, if they can do it, you can do it. So, the scaredy cat wearing a mask, throwing a rock. Um, remember when you destroy property, that poor people have to come and clean that up. Yep. So, when you kick in a Starbucks, um, the owner of Starbucks isn't coming down to fix that window. It's going to be the local repair person. A wage slave yes. is coming. Who may uh, disagree with you utterly politically. Mm -hmm. So, understand that about your destructive bullshit. Yeah. Um, Threatening Trumpkins and and fighting with them is highly unproductive. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We want to put the stuff where it can do the most good. Um, they're disorganized. I mean, the, this administration. Um, a couple of topics this week. Um, the uh, proposed uh, destruction of the EPA... Uh, the uh, uh, the FCC um, where they're going to lift the restriction on uh, companies selling your information off the web that's happening this week you may want to write about those issues uh, George Gorsuch uh, is a Supreme Court nominee being nominated by a president whose entire inner circle is being investigated for collusion with Russia there's no way on earth he should be given the responsibility right now of appointing a 48 year old man will sit there for 30 years. We can't have it. No is the answer to this. No is. They stalled Merrick Garland for 11 months. 11 Jesus. months. He was nominated almost a year ago. And they just stalled it. And Merrick Garland is not my, it wouldn't have been my pick. They're too conservative for me. <laughs> but with the Supreme Court, uh, we caught a break when Scalia, you know, passed. Because he was a super toxic individual what I will say in his favor was he knew the law he, yeah. was, a, he was a scholar um, his opinion I found repulsive because he didn't like people very much and I don't like religious weirdos uh, running things and he was opus day, which is scary to me 
Um, Gorsuch is the, you know, the white people face of cruelty. He's he he's absolutely qualified to sit on the court. He's been a good lawyer. He's been a judge. He's done everything he needed. He ticked all the boxes. He, he looks like a judge. God damn it! He's got silver <laughs> hair and a lantern jaw. Um, he doesn't have your interest in mind, sweetie. Two cases I can think of. Richard Nixon put um, Justice Powell on the court, thinking that he was going to be a Republican staunch. Justice Powell, as soon as he got on the court, was a wild card and started voting with the liberal wing. Yeah. Her- Herbert Walker put David Souter on the court, who sadly retired from the court. David Souter, he thought, was going to be a conservative stanchion and help him along, like like Clarence Thomas has been, like Alito's been. Yeah. And. Uh, David Souter ran wild and just went, fuck it. I, I'm going to vote however I want. Yeah. So it can happen. And I have a feeling that Merrick Garland would have been that type of justice. That he's a little more conservative than I wanted him to be, but I think he would have understood. My idea of a justice is uh, Sonia Sotomayor or Elena Kagan, who had tremendous track records in civil rights and women's rights before they became justices. Sotomayor wrote the Title IX decision on a lower court. Like, she's that person. That's who you want. You don't want people who... You've seen Gorsuch's decisions. He ruled against the sick guy, you know. A guy got up and talked about his child having autism. And that basically Gorsuch's Gorsuch, uh, uh, position is if schools do anything above nothing, that's enough for people with special needs. We don't really need to enforce that because... I know many people who would oppose that very strongly. <laughs> so, that's what you can do this week. Uh, also, the Affordable Care Act is definitely still under fire. It's just going to hold for the moment. Mm-hmm. Is that enough? No, that, oh, my God, that's perfect. Yeah, no, that was wonderful. Um, I guess, uh, l- lastly, uh, we can close with... Uh, I wanted to put in some of the some of the shows that you're going to be performing at. And, coming, I have the ID10T Fest in, that I just saw that you were added to in... Uh, oh, yeah, Idiot yeah, Fest? Yeah, which is going to be awesome. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, that's down here. Yeah, that's going to be here. Um, I believe... I know I have a ticket. I believe... And I'll tell you after this is off because I've told this story so many goddamn times on the show. Um, I believe Chris is giving me a photo pass for this Oh, nice. Show. Um, I, um, I'll explain more in a minute. But, um, where are some of the other shows that you're going to? Uh, the 29th, I'll be in uh, Chicago. And uh, then on the 30th, I'm going to do Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NBR. And then um, April 10th, we're at Mark uh, uh, Lubitsch in Los Angeles. April 12th, we're at the Cine Family showing Do the Right Thing, which is, again, another very pertinent movie that yeah. was made, golly, close to 27 years ago or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I read that Spike Lee's 60 now. And I was like, holy cow, does that make me? What does that make me? Uh really pertinent movie about police and race relations humanity and I'm on the road with Who's Live for fucking ages awesome we're in uh, Bellingham at the end of the month and then we're in um, Akron we're in the Midwest for a week then I come back I go to New York oh no I go to England I'll be at the Globe with the Comedy Store Players in London on April 24th the Wednesday before that I'll be with them at the Comedy Store and then we go on the road for like I think about a month that's awesome so I don't know what I'm going to do about the fucking podcast because <laughs> <laughs> sure I got no, I mean I'm literally like 23 days in a row with no break I'm sure you'll figure it out I'm going to buy a little Zoom I think 
I, that's what I was thinking of doing. A little, for, little zoom. Yeah. Like, I have a big one, but I'm going to buy, like, a dinky one. Yeah, just to drop it down somewhere. Yeah, just and then, like, do it in my room. Yeah, exactly. So, well, Greg, it was such a pleasure to talk Thanks, to you. Jared, Thank you. Thanks, Jared. I appreciate it, man. Hey guys, thank you again for listening. I, I I loved this episode and I loved everything about it. Um, I'm gonna include a link to the different organizations that uh, Greg had mentioned during the episode towards the in like the last 20 minutes or so. I'm gonna put that in the description so you'll be able to go and click and at least get an overview, and then you have more of an an explanation on a case by case basis of how each organization works and what you can do to help. Um, so as I said at the beginning of this, I was going to put a tag at the end of this episode. Um, I recorded the first one, and it was really somber and very dark, um, and I didn't mean for it to be, but I just wanted to quickly say something. Um, and I wanted to put it at the end of this episode because we talked about a lot of things that are happening in the country and in the world right now that are dark, that feel very hopeless, that may feel like you may feel you're lost, and it may be because of this, it may be because of something else, it may be something that's going, been going on for a long time. Yesterday, um, I finished the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why, and it was a very entertaining um, show in the sense that it was a mystery, it had a, a big story to it. For those of you who don't know the series, it was based off of a young adult novel that came out in 2007 that was later produced into a TV show um, for Netflix, which is about a, girl, a young girl named Hannah Baker who... Um, at the start of the show, you learn that she's committed suicide, and she leaves behind uh, 13 cassette tapes, each tape um, giving a different reason as to why she's done what she's done, each referencing a different person. And a lot of the themes in the show cover bullying, cyberbullying, sexual assault, things that are very serious and very important topics. And of course, topics that are rather taboo, like suicide and depression, that are still taboo in today's um, in today's modern society. And I just wanted to I, I want to talk about the show because yesterday there was a particular scene in the show that really there were several scenes that were very dark and intense, but one particularly that hit hard for me. I've never felt I've I've never felt the emotion that I felt watching this particular scene. Um, I won't give it away, but it's, it's at the end of the series and it's, it's very intense, but I also want to give credit to the producers and the writers of the show for not shying away from something that may have been extremely difficult to do, but is so important for people to know the truth about and, and to not skirt around it like, like a, maybe that a network television show would do. Um, and using this medium as a way to educate people about the dangers of, of things like this and about the seriousness of a topic like this. But I just want to say that this is a safe place um, and the safe place being shameless promotions, being for the record podcast, um, being my um, my Twitter handle, my Instagram, what whatever it is that you want to do. And I want to say that you just you're not alone. If you ever feel the need to reach out to someone, reach out to your family. If you can't reach out to your family, reach out to a friend. If you can't reach out to a friend, reach out to a hotline. There are crisis centers. There are places all over the country that are trained for stuff like this. Reach out to whatever you can do. I, I, I wish that I knew more of an answer and more of a way to say this, but just because we were talking about things in this episode that really 
are depressing when you think about it. They're about real things that are happening in this world that can affect our country and the world for generations to come with negative effects. And speaking as someone who has suffered from depression and someone who had, and I talked about this when I did that Nerdist thing a while back, that had thoughts of suicide and it was horrifying. And I'm wondering if maybe that's why the show in particular hit home so hard for me. Um, but I just, I just wanted to take this and just say, you're not alone. You never are as cliche as this sentence is there always is a light at the end of the tunnel, but there always is something to look forward to in life. It really is a beautiful thing. And I just want to say that I'm here for you. If you need to reach out ever reach out to, I'm on Twitter at Jared shameless. You can always hit me up. I will always listen to you no matter who you are and just be a voice. I love talking. I don't ever shut up. So so I love to have conversations, but it, uh, with that being said, I love listening too, and I love hearing people's stories, and I love talking to people and trying to offer help in what ways I can. I'm not a, I'm not a certified therapist or psychologist, so I do encourage you to seek help if that is something that you need. But if you need a neutral party, someone to talk to, if you're not feeling good about life, if you're not feeling like things are going the way that you are. I feel like the world is against you no matter what your age, no matter what, uh, no matter where you are. I, I just, so many people feel like they can't get help for whatever it is that they're going through. And it just takes something as simple as saying hello or some small act of kindness or recognition to really make someone feel like they belong and that everything's going to be okay. So if you ever need someone, even if we've never met before, I'm here for you, and I want to talk. So until next time, keep fighting, stay strong, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.